Dutch Resistance Network and The Last American Vagabond. And today I'm bringing you another interview with Kate Talley, who is a survivor of ritualistic sexual abuse, also a whistleblower of sorts. Uh, you might have seen my recent interview, the first interview with Kate. It was an article on thelastamericanvagabond.com and the video interview, which you can find at theconsciousresistance.com. And in that first interview, Kate describes how she came to know the recently arrested, disgraced uh, former therapist David Hamblin, who was arrested in Utah as part of an ongoing investigation by the Utah County Sheriff's Office into what they called ritualized child sexual abuse. That This started in May 31st, and it's been ongoing. I've been covering it for the last few months. So Kate came forward and she shared her story of knowing David Hamblin in part one. And in this interview that you're about to see, Kate now shares for the first time ever her own story of abuse within her family and uh, within the LDS, the Mormon church and everything that she experienced. So please listen with an open, open mind, open ears, open heart, and share this information if you can. If you have information to share related to this topic, please feel free to reach out to me. And I encourage anyone who might have been abused or knows anything about this to listen to what Kate has to say and uh, know that we are trying to get to the bottom, trying to get the truth exposed as much as possible. So thank you guys for your time. Please enjoy this interview. Kate, welcome back. Thank you for being with me again to share your story. Um, Let's go ahead and let's just dive right in. I know you have much to share about abuse that you suffered as a child and how that relates to the Mormon church and, you know, your family. I'm going to let you take it from here. Uh, where do you want to start? Maybe one thing that would, would be good for me to share, um, just a, t a tiny little little background about my family. My Both my parents, my mom and my dad, uh, had ancestors that came west with the pioneers. Um, the Mormon pioneers from Nauvoo. And they were, they were uh, kind of a little bit of like the who's who of Mormon, um, Mormon pioneers on my dad's side of the family. Um, his mother, uh, my dad's mother was a direct descendant of the man who started the university of Utah. And uh, my dad's father, um, who was the one that, that, was abusive to me, my main, my main abuser, um, him and, and, uh, his friends and the, and the cult group that he met with. He was, uh, the son of a doctor in the little town of Richfield, Utah. And, and, uh, they were, they were like, uh, they were friends, you know, they were like, they were friends with the leaders of the church when the church was being, was being organized. You know, my dad's, um, I, there's a little um there's a little museum type thing in the town of richfield where it tells about dr anderson and his um and his life there and how he served the pioneers of utah and you know on my on my dad's mother's side um is where the leader of or i'm sorry the the, the guy who started um the university of utah his name was orson spencer and his daughter was somebody who um who started the primary organization, which is a, uh, an organization for children, like a Sunday school and, and, and children organization. So on my dad's side, that's kind of where I come from, like pioneer Mormon pioneer stock. And on my mom's side is the same thing. You know, um, there's a, actually a picture in the Smithsonian Institute museum of my mom's, um, my mom's ancestors and a, and a broom factory that they opened in the town of Spanish work. And, and then another of my mom's um, ancestors 
his name was Alexander McRae and his home that he built is part of the tour that everybody goes to see in, in Nauvoo, in the town of Nauvoo. So I grew up um, with like this really strong, rich pioneer history that we were really, you know, we were proud of and we were, had been taught about the Mormon church and, um, and, and the founders. And um, so I kind of, you know, I grew up being really proud of, of, my roots and where I was from. And, and, um, and I grew up, uh, you know, seeing all the songs and marching in the parades and all of that about, um, about Utah and the founding of Utah and the, and the pioneers and stuff. Um, so if you don't mind, that's a little bit of a, an introduction that that might help people understand where I'm where I'm coming from with that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that history, Kate. I just want to mention, you know, for those who don't know, because I've only learned in the last few months as I've been doing my investigations into this, you know, ritualized sexual abuse investigation in Utah, that uh, for one, you know, the founding of Utah and the families coming there, but also the way that the Mormon Church gained political power and continues to wield political power and influence, not just in the United States, but in different parts of the world power and uh, um and and the culture here in the american west too not just in utah but it in all of the american west you know it was it was the mormons who discovered gold in 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 california in 1949 or excuse me 1849 and it was also um you know the culture that that came west with the pioneers still kind of re reverberates today in in the American West, you know, they're, they're really independent people. They're really hardworking. You know, there's a lot of really good things that, um, that followed and came with, with, um, the Mormon church settling that area. Um, there's also some things that are a little bit difficult, like their, their distrust for the federal government. Um, it's a big, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a big complicated story, but, but some people don't really understand that, that um, the the founders of the of the Mormon Church and the early prophets really had a big part in uh, the development of the the social climate and the the political climate and um, and just the all around atmosphere of the American West and it still is still alive today. So tell us more about your own family and how your family relates to the uh, early days of Mormonism. Thank you for that. I wanted to give that a little bit of that background. So, so I grew up in a in uh, I was born into a a, a really a good hardworking um, LDS family, Mormon family on both sides. My mom and my dad both um, in in the town of Payson. Uh, where I was born and, and that's where I was raised. Um, and uh, that's where, that's where my abuse was also. Uh, my grandfather, he owned, a, he was a pharmacist. He owned a, a pharmacy in the little town of Payson. Um, and he also owned one in Springville. Um, he was a, an, a veteran of the army, special forces. And in the Korean War, and um, also, as far as I know, I don't have tons of, of um, information on this because I don't really have anyone to talk to. It's just kind of been my own, my own research and and putting it together. But um, it's my belief that that he was um, trained and and with the special forces in the military, 
um, in the MKUltra program. So I'm setting, I, you know, I'm letting you know that um, because I, I, th- I feel like it's important to understand that a lot of the, the abuses that I suffered were kind of, they were kind of high grade, you know, military grade um, abuse and not just, not just sexual abuse, but in, in some cases, actual torture. Um, I'm not exactly sure when, when my grandfather got involved with an organized um, cult ring, um, but I know he was a Mason um, and that he also, um, that he did participate in those, uh, in that organized uh, satanic cult activity that I believe has existed since the very beginning of the, the founding of the church. Joseph Smith was also a master Mason um, and the Mormon church temple ceremonies are very, very similar to the ceremonies that, that they do in the Masonic lodges. So um, that was a part of my abuse. Um, You know, the, the cult meetings Uh, um, also I was abused by him, um, you know, privately in the, in our home. Uh, are not my home necessarily in his in his home when we would visit. So I had a lot of abuse happen on on holidays or um, you know times that families get together or times where um, we had sleepovers at my grandparents' house. You know, like if my parents were going away for their uh, for their anniversary or or that sort of thing. You know, um, all I think all pedophiles are opportunists. So. Um, they will manipulate others. Um, so there were times when, when I was staying with, um, sister or sisters of my, of my dad's in Salt Lake city and, and they were manipulated to, and, uh, and, and, and they brought us to Payson to, um, to grandma and grandpa's house. And that's when, when when abuse would occur. So I want to make it clear again that this is the first time Kate is choosing to share her story. And, um, you know, we appreciate that and respect you coming forward, Kate. And I know you have information to share that uh, you might want to share in the future. But for now, I know that you're you're also ready to reveal some of the things that you've experienced and some of the things that you've uh, been through. So let's let's just start to get into it. I know, you know, this relates to your grandfather. Uh, was your grandfather a member of the LDS? But I believe that his his father, the doctor in Richfield that I that I talked about, um, joined the church, or maybe his parents did. I'm not quite sure. Um, but he was born. My grandpa was born in into the Mormon Church, and um, you know they were his family of origin. Um, there down in in Richfield, they were they were a, an affluent family. My um, my great grandfather was a doctor, like I like I shared, and and my great grandmother was actually a very talented musician. She sang with a group called the Singing Mothers, who had a, a radio program. Uh, I believe it was during World War II, and it was like a nationally syndicated radio station where they would um, the the mothers of people of of, of sons serving or I guess daughters too serving in in the war would would sing patriotic songs and and it was um it was something that was shared all over the United States and um so he yeah so 
so my grandpa was was born in the Mormon Church, um, and and so was my grandma. Um, she she was from a little town called, called Orderville in Utah, which kind of has a, a fascinating history too that you might hear a little bit about. But I know I know from family history, from speaking with with members of my family, that that my grandfather was also um, abused. He was he was abused, and so was his brother. They were, um, and I think his sisters too. They were abused by somebody that was in the church. Um, I'm not exactly sure it was. I think it was a, a music teacher or a piano teacher. So one of the reasons I'm speaking up about this is because this is an ancestral trauma problem that's passed down in families and it's passed down in, in the, in the Mormon church. And, and I think all churches kind of a lot. Um, uh, there's a lot of secrets and a lot of shame. So, um, yeah, so he was, he was a member of the church. Uh, my grandma was a member of the church on my mom's side. They were all, all members of the church. Um, I don't think that my grandma and grandpa, my dad's parents and, and my grandpa, who was, was my abuser, I don't think they stayed super active. They were married in the Salt Lake LDS temple, but I don't, um, they didn't stay active members they're kind of what we would consider at the time people called jack mormons so kate was this abuse that you said started at two years old was this consistent all the way to 11 when your grandfather died or you know did you have you know uh periods where he didn't abuse you could you tell us any any more about that period if, if you don't mind so it wasn't it was consistent abuse um pretty much every time we saw our grandparents um, it was consistent abuse, um, but we didn't live right next door or anything. We, um, at the time we lived, um, I lived with my, my parents and, and my sisters in Salt Lake City while my dad was, uh, my dad was going to the University of Utah. So it was, it wasn't a daily abuse type thing. It was when we got together for holidays or celebrations or that sort of thing that, that it would happen. Um, and and then also, you know, I do have I do have memories of being taken to to cult rituals um, at that time during that time period. You know, when I was, as a, as a child between the ages of of two and eleven. Kate, if you're comfortable, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about where you were taken? And you've also mentioned you know networks, groups of people involved in this abuse. Uh, were these people who were just friends of your grandfather or were they members of the church as well? Um, what can you share about that? Sure. So, um, yeah, so I was also abused by friends of my grandfather's in a, like in a, in a, in a kind of a formal um, ritual setting, uh, but also in, um, in a more relaxed type of setting. Um, he had a, he had a drugstore and his friends would come in, you know, um, they would come in and hang out and, you know, it was one of those old time drugstores where they had a soda fountain in the bar and, and they'd come in and have a Coke and talk and stuff like that. And, and I remember, um, you know, his friends making comments about me and about, um, about my sister sometimes about, you know, kind of like inappropriate, actually very inappropriate, um, sexual comments about about us so i i know that some of the abuse with his friends happened in like a 
a relaxed one-on-one type situation. We kind you know, he kind of like, I was kind of like loaned out to his cronies, but also there were times that it happened in, in an organized ritual situation. And those happened, um, usually, uh, usually somewhere kind of rural or in a Canyon type, um, situation in, in Utah County, they were in, um, at night and in, uh, you know, there, there were certain places that they were meet, uh, which I think, I believe it was people's property, like people who are, were members of, of the, the cult ring. It was part of their property. Um, I, a farm, I remember being taken to one time, um, a place in, in, in the canyons and a couple towns in, in, uh, Utah County. I remember being taken to, um, and that's where the organized um, satanic ritual abuse would happen. So you've, you've told me this before, you know, just to kind of paint a clearer picture for folks who are hearing this, you were drugged beforehand. Is is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was drugged beforehand. So, so my grandfather was a, um, he was a pharmacist. So, and, and, you know, laws and, and the way that, that they really paid it attention to controlled substances were a lot more relaxed back then. So, um, from the time I was just a really little kid, um, I was drugged to be quiet or, or compliant. And that was a big part of my abuse. And, and, you know, that's something that actually went further, um, for me. And this is something that I didn't speak about in my, in my first, um, interview with you, because I wasn't really sure if it was if it was relevant, but I was, I've been thinking about it since then. And I, I think I'm hoping that if I share my story, that it would might be helpful to other people. But, you know, later in my life, I, um, I had a problem with, with prescription with pharmaceuticals and, and that actually came kind of into play with, with my abuse from David Hamblin and, and he actually asked me to get uh to go to the doctor and get medication and uh Hamblin did so it was hard you know i at from a young age i was i was drugged to um to make me like compliant i guess and complacent and then it it, it later in life when when um I, I had some really physical, some horrible physical, you know, physical problems. I was very sick. Um, I turned to pharmaceutical drugs to numb my emotional pain. And, and that didn't, you know, that didn't work out well. It never does, but I'm proud of myself. I'm very proud of myself for, um, I got help for that. I went to a really good treatment center and it's been several years since, um, since I've had a need to, you know, to numb my numb my emotional pain. I've, I've learned ways to deal with it that, um, that are healthy, but, uh, along it, you know, it, I know that that played a part in my, um, in me reaching for, for some, you know, something or anything to, to numb my pain. I went from, you know, as a young child and, and a teenager, I would exercise and, um, swim or ride my bicycle or run. And as a young adult, you know, I numbed, I numbed my pain with running for, for a while. 
um, I've had, I have definitely had trouble um, with eating my feelings. You know, that's something that, that I've really um, had an issue with, but I'm, I'm really proud of myself. I've, uh, I've come a long way and I've, I've, I've healed, you know, I've been able to heal from, from the need to, to do anything to not be present with my pain. Yeah, Kate, you know, I'm proud of you. I know we've only met each other recently, but seriously, I understand, um, you know, I understand the struggles of dealing with addiction and, and struggles in different ways. And unfortunately, when it does come to people who've been abused, those rates go up of drug abuse and suicide and depression and things like that. So very proud of you for turning your life around and for all the, you know, just being such a strong person right now in this moment. So again, I want to emphasize that the abuse ended at 11 years old, but that's for a very specific reason. It's because your grandfather died, right? Um, and I know that's after that is when you started to speak up. What can you tell us about that process of you choosing, deciding to come forward and, and voice your abuse that took place to you and share that with your family and trying to get help for this, uh, you know, the pain you were dealing with? Yeah, so no, it ended at when um just after my 11th birthday my 11th birthday was the last time that he um that he sexually abused me and it was it was pretty bad i was having a birthday party at his house he lived in a condominium in salt lake city and we were all going swimming and when i was just this you know a little 11 year old girl i went in my room or one in his room uh, like his guest room and in, in his condominium to to put my little swimsuit on and he came in and um and he and he raped me. He, he anally raped me. And, uh, I remember I was just, I was, I was angry with him and I was upset with him. And, and I turned to him and, uh, before he left the room and, and I said, I, I hate you and I hope you die. And I, I'm certainly not responsible for him, him dying. I don't think, but he, it was only, I think like a month later, he died of a heart attack after that. And not too long after that, um, my, my, one of my, my dad's sisters, my aunt, um, she was the first adult that came forward and said that, that she had been struggling and seeing a, a therapist and that, that he had sexually abused her. And so when, when my parents told me that, um, I said, I, I know he, he did that to me too. And so we, that's when, when it all came out before that, it wasn't, it wasn't talked about, um, at all. Nobody, nobody knew about it until he died. So Kate, when you started to speak up, did, you know, did these, did you have full memories of everything that had happened to you, the, the ritualistic elements, the group setting, um, all that, or was it more like an awareness that you had been abused by your grandfather and then over time you came to remember, become aware of that? Could you tell us about that? Like just, I guess, the the process of recalling all of the things you've been through. Well, so at first when I told my parents, I didn't tell them very many um very many details. That's something that I think is common when, when survivors of, of, of sexual abuse come forward, they don't, you know, they don't share everything, you know, all, all at once. Um, I told him that he, that he had molested me, but I didn't really, I didn't really share, shared a lot of details on that until much later. Um, 
and you know we went to a um we, i think i told you in my last video that that my parents were really amazing they they did everything they could within their power to get us help we did like people are are taught to do in the church we went to our bishop our bishop was also really really compassionate and and really kind and here he referred us to lds social services where we went my sister and i because when i spoke up my my sister she said that happened to me too you know so we uh i remember going to it was like on at byu campus in provo utah we went to a a, a psychologist that worked for lds social services and we had a, a meeting with or we had an appointment with him i had one by myself and then and then my sister and i had one together and during our um during our session together this uh this psychologist actually she he he asked my sister um you know do you think that really happened to you or are you wanting to get some attention like Katie's getting right now. So my poor sister, you know, the first time she went to a, a psychologist for help was was victim shamed in a really, really bad way, you know, pretty much kind of accused of of making it up in order to uh to have attention. And it was it was damaging to her. And it was damaging to me too, you know, when you see your sister speak up and uh, get spoken to by somebody who you view as a professional and get, uh, you know, get shamed at, you know, both of us kind of closed down, I think. So neither of us really sh shared a lot of, of, a lot of details for a while. Um, my parents knew that that psychologist wasn't a good fit at all. And so they found one for our family that was a better fit. And he helped my, he helped me a lot. He definitely helped me a lot, and I know that he's helped my family a lot, and I'm I'm really grateful to him. Um, and I shared some things with him, but I didn't really share a whole lot of details. I did have always have memories of a certain extent of the ritual type thing having ha have happened, but it didn't really um, it didn't really come forward in a whole um, in a whole lot of detail until I was older until I was in my 20s. And, and my, um, you know, my situation was kind of similar to what other people who are mentioned in that Glenn L. Pace memo that you've talked about, um, that, you know, people later in life have memories come forward. The difference for me, though, was I had memories come forward on my own. I only had um, hypnosis or like recovered memory therapy just one time with that same therapist who helped my family a lot um you know he he tried doing hypnosis for me and i kind of faked my way through the appointment but it you know it didn't it didn't work i didn't hypnosis didn't work so i don't have recovered memory syndrome i know i don't because i i didn't ever have or whatever they call it, I'm not sure what they call it. I did never have hypnosis and I didn't ever really have, um, I didn't have anyone feed, like spoon feeding me, me details or anything. I just had things coming up more and more, especially after I had my own children, when um, it, it triggered memories coming forward, which I think is pretty common. You know, uh, postpartum depression, I think is part of that, but also a fear of, of our children being abused um triggers um triggers our our memory and and subconscious so it, i always remembered um things of a ritualistic nature um i always had 
irrational fears of like like being up in the canyon at the night in the nighttime like when i went camping with friends as a teenager i remember being terrified that something was going to happen i didn't ever say anything to any of them um but being really really scared in fact i mean this is kind of embarrassing but there was one time we were out in in a canyon uh, situation when i was a teenager and um, I was probably 16 or 17. And one of, one of the boys that was friends with us, um, you know, that came out of the, the woods to scare us. And, and I peed my pants in front of friends uh, as like a 16 year old girl. I mean, it was really embarrassing, but I, it literally scared the piss out of me because I had been in situations at night in that same kind of area that were horrible and not safe where really, really terrible things happened to me. Yeah. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's this organization called the False Memory um, Foundation or organization. And essentially, it's just these psychologists, this group of people that try to discount stories like yourself and say that people have you know, gone to see therapists or the kids have been coached by their parents and false memories have been planted into their minds and then they just repeat things that never happened to them. And it's just it's a way to dismiss victims, unfortunately. But uh, I wanted to key, on, key in on one other area. You mentioned the term a couple of times, satanic, uh, when referring to this group, this cult that was doing the abuse with your grandfather uh, to you and to other people. Could you tell us why you use that term or what you mean by it? Sure. So it, it's satanic because they, they prayed to Satan in the, in, uh, in the rituals. And I was, you know, I was... I was part of those rituals and I was, I was forced to pray to Satan as well. And, and the rituals, you know, the details of what happened in the rituals are, are really terrible. They're really demonic. They're, it's awful. There were things, you know, um, torture, you know, not just, not just abuse, but, but actual torture. And, um, and it was, it's not my, I didn't, you know, it's not that I, that I feel like it was, it was dark and evil. So I call it satanic. It, it was satanic because they, they openly prayed to Satan. Yeah. I appreciate you making that clear, Kate, because, you know, I think the term satanic, it gets thrown around a little bit too casually out there. You have in the corporate mainstream media, people trying to discount and, and say that there's, you know, anybody who says that they were abused by a satanic cult or somebody praying to Satan is obviously crazy. And then you have people who I think say that about, they call everybody Satanists and, and I don't think, you know, it's accurate, right? Uh, but in your case, you're saying these people literally were praying to Satan. So I just want to make that clear. I also do want to make the the note that in the case against David Hamblin in 2000, uh, 2012, not the current case, but the 2012 case, which was dismissed without prejudice in 2014, several of the victim statements say that the abusers were praying to Satan or Lucifer. This is listed in the documents. You can see it a couple of different times. So I just want to put that on the table and people can make of it uh, what they will. Now, uh, I wanted to ask, based on your experience growing up in the culture and in Utah and your family's history, do you think this type of abuse is just the case of a few bad apples in the LDS? Or are you one of the people who believe that it is you know, potentially rotten to the core or this is part of the history of the church itself? Well, I certainly don't think that all that all people in in the LDS church um, have knowledge of this or, you know, it, or are are involved in it. I, I know I, I do know that I, that 
um, it, I guess, I guess the best way to to explain it is that that it was almost like a shadow organization of of leaders of the church um, who are also members uh, and leaders of of this the satanic part of it. And I don't um, I personally don't believe that it's just the the Mormon Church. Uh, I know it's super. It's hard to believe. It's like really out there, and it's it's. Uh, it's just really hard to wrap your mind around, even for me, who, who, who lived it. It's really hard to to think that there is a, there's organizations going on in churches, um, in government, in, in you know, in entertainment. Um, but I believe there are. I think there are um, satanic cults that. Um, that the leaders of a lot of organizations, not just churches, are involved in. Yeah, and you know the the research I've been doing over the last decade plus definitely shows that this isn't just a Mormon issue. I mean, in the last couple of years alone, I've seen reports, done reports on abuse within the Southern Baptist Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Obviously, the Catholics have an infamous uh, history, and then now what we've learned over the last decades about the LDS. So it is institutions all over the world. And I really do think it's in in the instance of how cults, uh, and I really do think that it's similar to the way the finders cult worked when I studied them that, and many of these groups work where they have an inner circle that knows what the real purpose of the organization is. And they have an outer circle that believes it's maybe for a totally different reason. Right. And I think that's how a lot of these churches operate. But um, yeah, I just wanted to make that clear. And, and uh, now we're going to start to wrap up here, Kate, and I do want to end um, on a more positive note, because I think the positive note is that you're coming forward, you're speaking up, and that's a great thing. So I want to end with that. But before we do, I just want to give you a chance. Is there anything else you'd like to say about your grandfather, the network of ritual abuse, um, just anything on on that specifically? Um, you know, I think maybe just what I want to add is that that I that I do I, I really do believe that some of the people who are involved in the satanic aspect of um, of the LDS church and also, you know, um, government and that sort of thing that they are, I think some of them are involved in both of it, you know, like the, the light side and the dark side, and they are such fractured individuals from their, the own abuse that they've suffered. And that's part of, that's part of the, like the programming that goes into this. They're such fractured individuals that they might be participating in this really dark and, and, and evil stuff. And they don't even know they're doing it. You know, they, they don't, they're not aware of that. They're doing it. Um, it's really tricky. It's, it's a, it's hard to believe it's very sensational. You know, the details of things that, that I was witness to are the kinds of things that, that, that your worst nightmares are made of. Um, so I understand that people have a hard time wrapping their head around this. It's a lot. It's a lot, and it's um, unfortunately, Derek. I I kind of believe it. It's everywhere in the whole world. It is a worldwide issue. You know, this is truly a worldwide phenomenon. And as I said, it's in different religions. It's in politics. It's in media. It's in Hollywood. And you can go back through history and see different, uh, even Greek philosophers. You know, arguing for. Uh, relationships that boy and adult love should be acceptable. And I think that that 
was a culture, and obviously that we have the beginning of the Mormon Church. We have um, the polygamy, which in many cases did yield itself towards child marriage. Um, and I think that those sort of practices, though, just went more underground. It's not that they've disappeared totally. Now, some would say that they're starting to resurface, come back up ground because you have this hypersexualization of children taking place and uh, some people attempting to get pedophilia as just like another sexual preference and really disturbing things like that. So you can see this. Um, this is a worldwide issue, but um, thankfully people like yourself are speaking up, Kay. And I just want to say to anybody out there who's hearing this, if you have a story to share, please do reach out to me, reach out to Kate. Um, I, you know, I can't promise that we can that we can get accountability or justice in every area, but I do think that we can offer you a chance to share your voice. And there's lots of people who have been reaching out. I've been telling you this, Kay, that people have been reaching out and sharing their stories with me, even since you your first interview. And I know more people will come out as your story reaches more people. So if you have something to share with me, reach out to me. I'll try my best to cover it and do it and give you a voice in whatever way I can. Okay, Kate, I'm going to throw it back to you and just, you know, one more time, any message you might have, um, you know, this is your own experience. I know that you're not an expert in this, but you've been through this and now you're coming forward and your strength is helping you come out publicly and be a, a survivor and a whistleblower. So if you have any thoughts or advice to anybody out there who might have their own story and is thinking about coming forward, uh, please feel free to share that right now. Well, I think, I think what I'd like to say to anybody who's suffering with, with, memories of of satanic ritual abuse or anybody that's just been abused at all um in any way you know particularly sexual abuse because it is really insidious and it's really it's really a a problem i i want to tell them that you're not alone in your suffering and that um that people there's a lot more people who care than you think and that we might feel like we're being judged. We might feel like, you know, especially in my case, I didn't speak up because I had so much shame. You know, I was raised in a in a culture that's really strong on purity and and um, you know keeping yourself pure for your spouse for when you're married in the temple. And and I felt like that I I didn't want anybody to know because I felt like I was dirty. I felt like I was stained. I felt like I was used goods. You know, and that's not true. That's not true for any of us. Um, there's help out there. There's so many people um, like me. I really believe there's people all over the world like me who are doing their part to speak up about things. It's really hard. It's, honestly, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. But it's very important. It's very important. It's important that we listen to one another and that we were there for one another um, and that we're compassionate. And uh, I just want to remind people, you know, I've, I was really, I was really, really scared, very scared to share this. And all I've gotten, um, you know, even from people in, who are still uh, practicing members of the Mormon church and, and they feel, they feel defensive of the church. They don't, you know, and I understand why they feel like I'm, I might be talking bad about, about um, the church. Um, I'm not here to bash anyone. I'm really not. Uh, I'm just here to say you're not alone. We can talk about really hard things. Um, and it's the only way, Derek, it's the only way that we're going to get to a, a place where we can stop ancestral abuse of this kind, where we can stop with our young people taking their own lives, where we can stop, uh, you know, with with pervasive shame. And if we don't start talking about these really, really hard things, then institutions like like 
government or like the Mormon church or the Catholic church, they're not going to change. They're not going to change how they handle abuse situations until they kind of feel some heat and they, and they, they take a look and they go, you know, we really need to have some better training. Um, we really need to start um, advocating and believing victims. We really need to stop protecting predators. Um, you know, we need to protect children at all costs. So that's why I'm doing that. And I just really, you know, I want to thank you uh, for listening, Derek, and for getting the, the word out there because I, I just really appreciate you. And I want everyone to know that might be watching this, whether you know me or you don't, you're not alone. Please reach out. I will listen. Um, Derek will listen. Um, we'll, we'll help you find help. You're valuable, you're loved, and you can heal. I'm living proof. You can heal. Very beautifully said, Kay, and I, I just appreciate you so much and your strength. And I'm going to echo that. Look, guys, if you have a story to share, once again, I'm going to say reach out to me. Uh, if you're ready to, to come forward, we will offer whatever we can to help you. This problem is not going to go away, just like any of the problems we're facing, if we do not speak up. And if we remain silent about what's taking place, then people like Kate won't come forward. Thankfully, Kate is coming forward. And I know more of you who have been abused have st stories to share. Uh, I just hope that you, you can find the strength and the courage to do so. When you're ready, we'll be here for you. So thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. Peace.